Hello and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain, a podcast dedicated to the mission of walking people towards healing and health. In each new episode, we will discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Here is your host, Stephanie West, a licensed practicing counselor in the state of Michigan, a teacher, and a professor who lives her life at the intersection of mental health and education. Thanks so much for following along. Hey guys, welcome back to a new episode. I would like to invite you, if you are female and you have Tuesday mornings available, Carrie and I are going to, Carrie's a friend of mine who is a therapist as well, we are going to put together a small group experience on boundaries. And if you are interested, you can email us at quest for more, but it's Q-W-E-S-T. Her last name is Quintino. My last name is West. So we've hybrid it and call it quest for more at gmail.com. That's going to start the last week of September. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you. The second thing I want to share about is there is a bonus episode this week on Wednesday. It's an interview with a local gym owner, someone who I have such appreciation for. He is the owner of the gym that I currently attend, but he's got a really intensely cool background in things like research and things like fitness and things related to health and wellness. And it's such a cool interview. I hope you come back Wednesday for that as well. Today, I want to tackle somewhat of a tough topic as it relates to one that gets so culturally stigmatized. There's so much shame around it. There are so many big opinions around it. And I guess I just want to have a frank discussion of suicide. I want to have a frank discussion of what's going on there. When someone gets to the point where suicide is the solution for them, how can we navigate that with grace, with humility, with, you know, just the sadness that it is instead of trying to intellectualize and have big opinions about it. And I want to start with a piece of research that is just so interesting. So this is research in the 1950s by Dr. Curtis Richter. And this is information, okay, from a study 70 years ago that actually gives us some incredibly valuable insight into what's going on with someone when they succumb to hopelessness and despair. So things like hope and resilience, we learned through this rat study. What had happened was he was using kind of these cylinders of water and he would put rats inside and see how long it took them to kind of give up. And in very short order, some of the rats would, you know, they would go, they would explore kind of the bottom of the cylinder and within two or three minutes they would die. There would also be rats where instead of kind of succumbing right away to their experience, they would tread water for a while. On average, in the first round of experiments, they would there would be success in some of the rats treading water for like 14 or 15 minutes. But ultimately, they would succumb and die. Except at one point in his experiment, he wanted to compare what's going on with those who understand that rescue is possible. And so what he did, as rats looked like they were giving up, he retrieved them from the water, pulled them out, dried them off, gave them kind of a recovery period, and then he ran the same experiment with the same rats. And so you would think, okay, these rats are submerged again. They're probably immediately overwhelmed. Some of them might give up immediately. What he noticed, though, was over the length of the experiment, these rats who had been retrieved from the cylinders and then placed back in them later, instead of giving up after 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and being hopeless, some of these rats were able to tread water for 60 consecutive hours. Now, that's at the high end of the experiment, but on average, those same rats 
cats were treading water on average of 40 to 60 hours because at one point in their story, they had been rescued. So they had hope that they would be rescued again. They showed resilience of kind of muscling through the hard stuff of having to tread water because they saw something at the other end was possible. They thought that perseverance would pay off. And so what we can understand is that if people believe, if if we can extrapolate this to people, if people believe that there is hope, they will have much higher prevalence of resilience in a lot of cases. So if we're going through a hard time and we experience some sort of rescue, some sort of lifeline, there's a good chance that if we're supported in the future when hard stuff happens, we believe we will be supported again. We understand from a historical reference point that things will get better. The importance of believing that things will get better is paramount when we come to the discussion of suicide. Suicide, by its very nature, tends to be based on the ideas of hopelessness and despair. So there are people who are in the thick of something and they don't see a way out. Now, I do want to kind of lay the foundation of saying suicide doesn't have just one motive, but one of the core motives in many stories of suicide is for the pain to stop. The pain, whatever it is, emotional anguish, maybe there's financial peril, maybe there's relational breakdown. The hope is that the pain stops. If someone has come to a point where death is the solution for the pain stopping, pause a minute and ponder what must that level of pain be? Now, there are some people that do it as a cry for help. And so we say, okay, well, they're just being attention-seeking. But what must be going on in your life if something so radical is the way you are getting attention? Because it sounds like you're probably being overlooked. You're probably pretty disconnected. And now the bummer is a lot of this is based on perception. But if someone is using suicide as a cry for help, something else is going on there. There's a breakdown somewhere and there's support system. So we have to also wonder, is this just attention seeking or is it connection seeking? Are they trying to be heard, be seen, be understood? And do they want the pain of not being seen, not being heard, not being understood? Are they just wanting that to end? Now, there are caveats again, because some people do it for revenge, right? Some people think through, well, hey, they don't see me. I bet they'll see me now. I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to let them know it's their fault. It's one of the reasons that 13 Reasons Why show is so concerning because it normalized for our younger generation that that's another way to get your needs met. That's another way to twist the knife in other people's stories. That's another way to say, ha, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this back to you. But those are outliers. The bulk of people tend to do it because somehow it's become an answer to their problem. It's become an answer to stopping the pain that might be so excruciating for them. If we do not see suicide as an option for us, we need to be somewhat humble about that. So in my story, in my faith context, suicide is just not a choice. Now what's neat about it is you go into scripture, you see a lot of really godly men crying out to God and saying, God, please end my life. But here's the thing that's important to understand. They put that power in God's hands. They say, God, please end my life. And if God doesn't have that in his will for their lives, then they stick around. And usually the big emotions, they'll move through it, they'll move on because some sort of support comes along and intervention happens. But because I don't believe it to be a choice in my life, I have to understand that my faith 
is a protective factor against seriously considering suicide. That's a blessing that I've been raised in a way that my faith is a protective factor against suicide. Not everyone has that same worldview. Not everyone has that same launching point for their belief systems. And so I have to look at it with humility and say, I'm relieved and I'm thankful that it's a protective factor for me. Not everyone has that. And if we can't understand that other people have more flexibility in how they come to solutions, we're missing understanding the blessing that we don't have that type of flexibility in our lives. And maybe that seems a little hard to parcel out, but it's imperative that we walk into this particular topic with humility. Now, the second thing, if it's about such excruciating pain and I don't have pain in my life that takes me towards thinking about suicide, that in itself is also a protective factor. Whether I have internal resources, whether I have spiritual resources, whether I have community resources, financial resources, gifts, talents, whatever it is, there are things going on in my life that further protect me from suicide being an option for me. So we need to be very careful about making declaratives about who this person is or why this person did what they did or intellectualizing it because someone made a choice that, yes, has a tragic cost and it costs their future potential. And I think that's the piece where I get hung up when we want to sit there and say, it's so selfish. It's so this, it's so that. Let's just wrestle it out that this is a human life that is no longer because the pain was too big, their resilience and their hope was too little, and we've lost out on the unique gifts and talents and contributions of that soul. That's a tragedy. So when I'm in a conversation and someone says, well, they shouldn't have done it. They they should have done this instead. They should have done that instead. I just want to press pause and say, you know what? I'm not willing to have that conversation until we lament the fact that this is a soul that's lost. And that is the tragedy. Someone never got to step into their potential, never got to cultivate their skills. And yes, there was choice involved, but there was a whole lot more than choice involved going on there. There was a lack of hope. There was a lack of resilience. There was a lack of pain tolerance. There was a lack of whether it was support that they needed. There was a lack of understanding how to deal with pain differently. There's a lack of internal resources. There's a lack of spiritual resources, whatever it is, the lack there, we have to grieve it because we've lost a person. We've lost a human being, we've lost what they could have contributed to their own life, to the lives of the people around them. So instead of us taking it into this blame and shame and guilt and and we should have done things differently, let's lament because it is a tragedy. And here's the thing, despair is not unique. We all have despair that we will go through. That is life. But if we have ways to deal with it, if we have historical points where we've had success, if we have an infrastructure in place where people will support us, if we have a faith that helps bolster us in the hard stuff. Sit with appreciation for that understand the blessing that that is. What happens with suicide is we have a two-way constriction that goes on. We have a tunnel vision that happens on the problem and we have a tunnel vision that happens on the solution. And so, and, and the solution being suicide isn't an option, it becomes the option. So getting people who are talking through suicidal ideation or coming up with actual plans, what's happened is there's a narrowing in of their brain that's happening and we have to expand it out as best as possible. And when someone says, this is the problem. We try to ask things like, okay, 
What else might be going on here? What other resources might you have? What's another way of thinking about this? And when someone says this is the solution, we'll say, okay, but what if there were more options? What if we told you that on the other side of this, you know, it might take some hard work. We might have to grow in some internal sources. We might have to reach out for help. If we're willing to do this though, might there be less pain on the other side of this pain that's more manageable? What we do is we we try to push back against constriction by looking at other options and opportunities. But one of the things that has to happen is to get people talking because constriction and suicide usually go hand in hand. If you are struggling, despair is common, but you are not supposed to navigate that alone. So please consider the suicide hotline is there for your help. Please consider texting is now available with suicide resources. It is there for your help. Your brain has constricted. Your job is to get talking and your job is to expand out your understanding of what's available to you. Suicide is seen as the solution. And at the very, very least, we have to say, well, maybe it's a solution. But what if you have other choices? What if you have other options? And what if getting rescued in this little space builds your resilience and builds your hope and builds your ability to navigate future hard stuff. And we go back to that rat study and say they wanted to give up so quickly. They sink, they give up. But once they were rescued and once they understood that there was hope to be had, their perseverance was staggering. 40 to 60 hours of persevering through tough stuff because they realized there were more options than what they observed. There might be help that they didn't know once upon a time. There is help, my friends. If this is something that you are even remotely considering, reach out and let's get you connected to resources. And if you've lost someone to the tragedy of suicide, I am so sorry that's happened. What a tragedy to lose the unique gifts, the unique talents, the unique personalities, the beauty that that person was able to contribute. I'm sorry it's over. I'm sorry it's gone. And for those of you that cannot wrestle out how someone could be so selfish, all I can say to you is imagine if your brain is telling you this pain will never stop, whatever that pain is, and your brain is telling you that suicide is the solution. What a scary, scary place to be. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Please share this content with friends and family. Feel free to connect with Stephanie at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.